Good morning, church. In the last one month, together we at RBC have been looking at our mission as a local assembly in this community and, part, and also part of a universal church. We are reminded that we are a family of faith that exists to worship God with joy, love our neighbors, see transformed lives, and send and be sent for the spread of the gospel through Jesus Christ. This is our mission statement. Our existence as a church hinge on these fundamental truths as stated in our mission statement. Also, we established that our commitment to making disciples is because we want to extend the good news of Christ's redemption, rescue, and transformation of the world to people all over the world so that as many people as possible are brought into fellowship with the triune God. That discipleship means learning, loving, and obeying Christ. In defining a disciple, we said a disciple is one who submits his or her mind, heart, and will to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. I think it's worth reminding us that we said that disciples are made by the word of God being spoken, expounded, and set forth as the authoritative, sufficient, inerrant, divine revelation that it is. Not to forget that also we make disciples by seeking the blessing of God's spirit upon the word that is spoken. So that people can become obedient to Christ. Not just in their soul, but also in their body. And also we said that by serving together as God's people and striving towards God's purpose is key to discipleship making. Well, what does this look like in practice? We said we must step out of our so-called comfort zone and engage unbelievers around us and evangelize them. For those unbelievers that God graciously and sovereignly saves and joins to our fellowship, it is vital that they become established in the excellent doctrine of Scripture. They need to move beyond only consuming the basic elementary doctrine and to be instructed in the deeper things of the faith. And as they embrace weightier matters of truth and grow in the pursuit of holiness, we said that they are equipped to use their spiritual gifts to expand God's kingdom by making disciples of others. Finally, last week, Pastor Sam helped us to see all who are involved in the discipleship-making process. We saw them in different capacity and that these are just stages of spiritual growth, not that one believer is better than the other. But one of the main points of last week's sermon is the role of the mature ones in discipleship-making, the pastors and the elders and all the lay readers, leaders. They are committed to lifelong learning. Now, this point lays the foundation for today's sermon. 
So the title of our sermon today is, Where Are Disciples Made? And our text is from the book of Matthew, the last chapter, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The key words for our worshipers in training this morning is church, gospel, and ministry. In answering the last question of our discipleship manifesto, where are disciples made, we said, and I quote, Discipleship is not just what happens in one-on-one conversations, but in every spare, nook, cranny, and corner in the life of Christians. It occurs in every facet of church life and through the church in every corner of the world. We said that for Redeemer Baptist Church, Sunday morning worship is our flagship discipleship moment. But we also employ other strategic meetings to facilitate growth among RBC members and to connect with our community. These discipleship moments, everything we do should serve our nature as a community of faith that learns, loves, and obeys King Jesus. Now the question is where are disciples made? Where these discipleship moments take place and their, impo- and their importance in relation to the, gospel, the Great Commission is our focus this morning. So please turn with me to our text, Matthew 28, 16 and 20. Now the 11, 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this text, as commonly known as the Great Commission, is one of the most important texts of Scripture in the life of the church. It was both a glorious and and sobering moment, one that will forever change not only the lives of these 11 disciples, but the life of those who will follow after. This is like the moment when a sword is placed on the shoulder of a man by his king to be knighted. For those of you of British origin, you understand this. With his head bowed in worship of his king, that was a great moment for that man. But unlike commissioning of knighthood, these men, they are rising up, not taking a name or not putting a title before their, their name, rather, these 11 disciples rose up, picked up the mantle, the mantle to proclaim the name and salvation of their king, who loved, redeemed, rescues, and has adopted them as his own. The Great Commission is a great tax. The nature of this tax is no different from the ministry of Christ on earth before his death, burial, and resurrection. 
So by implication, what this text is saying is this. Jesus is calling them to preach the gospel in, the, in public and in private, just as he taught them in public and in private. This is not only implied in the text, in the text but we see how the disciples themselves interpreted Matthew 28, 16-20, the Great Commission. We see that in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, we see that the Bible tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And they continued all of this, and they said day by day, what did they do? They attended the temple together, breaking the bread in their homes. So they interpreted these both in the public ministry and the private ministry of Christ. In Acts 5, we saw also that every day in the temple they met, and they also met from house to house. So please consider with me two points as we answer the question this morning. And that is the public ministry of the church and the private ministry of believers. The public ministry of the church and the private ministry of believers. So first importance, let's look at the public ministry of the church as it pertains to discipleship making. In verse 10 of our text, Jesus told the women to tell his disciples, Call my brothers, tell them to go to Galilee, and, I will see, and they will see me. They went to Galilee, to the mountain. He had directed them, and they saw him. But three things is what are, word of, are worthy of note here as we consider the public ministry of the church in discipleship making. First is the city he told them to go. The second is the specific location of that city. And third is the response of the disciple. Now, what city did Jesus Christ tell them to go? He told them to go to Galilee. And what's the significance of Galilee? As you already know, Galilee is the city where Jesus began his ministry. In Matthew 4, we saw, he said, Now here, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali. And what was that? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Lebanon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. So Galilee is where he called. Galilee is the same place that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Galilee is where he called, Galilee is where he called his first disciples and preached to them also on the mountain. Remember the popular mountain, the popular salmon, the salmon of the mount. It was here in this same location. His public ministry is characterized with teaching on the mountain and retreating to the mountain to pray. In the Old Testament, mountains are symbolic. They are a place of worship. Abraham, going to sacrifice Isaac, said he goes to the mountain to worship. Also, we know that we see in the book of Exodus that God gave his people the law on Mount Sinai. The writer of Hebrews 
encouraging the saints, writes about this. He said in Hebrews 12, 18 24, For you have come to what may be touched. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness and gloom, and a tempest. And the sound of trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, in festal gathering, and to the assembly, what we interpret as a church, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the saints of the righteous, under the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, what's the meaning of all of this? Why did I go to uh, the Old Testament? And why did I come back here? What's the, what's the significance of all of this with regards to Galilee, with regards to where Jesus told them to meet him? What's the representation of the mountain with regards to discipleship making? Why did I go through all of this for us? It simply means this. The church is where disciples are first made. As Pastor Sam stated last Sunday, and I quote, he said, discipleship begins in the pulpit. The pulpit ministry of the church is the first oven that bakes men into disciples. It's no coincidence that Jesus commissioned his disciples on the mountain in Galilee, the same place where his public ministry began. Now, what does this mean for us? It's a reminder that Jesus will fulfill his purpose, that he will build his church. In our discipleship manifesto, we stated that a Sunday morning worship is a flagship discipleship moment in our life as RBC members. Through the pulpit, we publicly proclaim the authority of Jesus over all things in heaven and earth. His authority over sin, sicknesses, diseases, Rulers, governments, kings, queens, and nations. Here at RBC, we call new believers to publicly identify with Christ in baptism. But I would like to draw our attention to verse 18 and 20, 18 to 20 of our text. And Jesus came to them and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he commanded and said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now what is the importance of this to our public ministry as a church? It is important to note the scope of the commission. It is important for us to know who or what defines that scope in order for us to better understand the ministry of the church in discipleship making. 
And that scope can be defined, can be seen through just one word that kept, that was repeated. And that's the word all. All authority. All nations. All that I have commanded you. Our Sunday morning worship, our Sunday school, our small groups, discipleship groups, student ministry, vacation Bible school, counseling ministry, Sunday evening service here at RBC, the Morrow Institute, our family camp as we call it. All of these are established and structured in obedience to the great commission of making disciples. Of all nations. They are established and structured and designed to teach them, all people, to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Like Paul, we declare the whole counsel of God. But listen, brothers and sisters, all these discipleship moments. They make no sense if they are not established on the authority of Christ. They will not produce any fruit if they are not established on the authority of Christ. Because he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The church is where disciples are first made because Christ commanded it. Christ instituted it. And it's all about Christ. Now, am I boasting about RBC this morning? Oh, yes, I am. I am boasting about RBC. But at the same time, I'm not saying RBC is a church with perfect people who knows all things. Like the 11, disi- 11 disciples in verse 7 of our text. We worship God, but sometimes we doubt. Like them, we come before the Lord on Sunday morning. We worship. It's worth noting that the Greek word he used here for, for doubt is not that we deny the authority of Christ, but that sometimes we hesitate. It's a reminder that we are humans. We are flesh and blood. We are not sufficient for the grace of Christ. We are wretched sinners. Rebellious fools, deserving eternal death, but our holy God, who doesn't need anything or anyone, demonstrated his great love to us, came, lived a sinless life, took our sins upon himself. The wrath of the Father was poured upon him. He died on our place, in our place, and resurrected that we might have life. Brothers and sisters, it never ended there. We are now sons of his kingdom. This is the reality that comes upon us that makes us hesitate. And ask ourselves the question, is this true? Can this be true? Can can a holy God look upon us and bring us into his own? Redeemer Baptist Church, We are the redeemer of the Lord. We have been taxed with the responsibility of making disciples for the one who has authority in heaven and earth. 
So dearly beloved, let us examine ourselves today. And ask ourselves the question, am I putting other things above the Lord's day worship service? Let's ask ourselves the question, would I rather go to a Super Bowl event on a Sunday morning or come and worship with the saint? Or let me put it this way for those of us who love soccer. Will I rather go to watch a FIFA World Cup than come to church on a Sunday morning? Is the Lost Day Worship Service just a check on the list of my activities? Am I here on Sunday morning? Am I just present here in the flesh, but my mind is somewhere here, here or somewhere else? Am I thinking of planning the next vacation where the salmon is going on? Am I thinking of what, the, what, what we're going to have for dinner, why the salmon is going on? Brothers and sisters, if we put a quarter of the effort we put in preparing for our vacation, preparing for that pre- presentation at work, Preparing for wedding ceremonies, baby showers, and birthday parties. These are good things. But if we put just a quarter of that in preparing ourselves for the Sunday worship, how great will the memories be? How great will it be that you can look back and say, what a great day it was. From the very moment that entered into church on Sunday morning, from the singing of the hymn, to the reading of the word, to the prayer and to the hearing of the sermon, what a great day it was. I implore us this morning to strive to be here every day, every Lord's Day, rather. Brothers and sisters, Our Sunday worship service is the most important gathering in the life of believers. To trade it for worldly pleasure, to trade it for temporal things, is to deny ourselves and others of this discipleship moment. I understand the fact that some of us have work that we do on Sunday. I get it. We bless the Lord for our first responders. We bless the Lord for the nurses and doctors. And for those who have to walk on Sundays. But if we have to walk every Sunday, every month, every quarter, every year, then that's a problem. If we choose recreation over the Sunday morning worship, That's a problem. These are good things. These are lovely things that we do with our families. But it becomes a recurring thing that we do. And it becomes something that we choose to do without thinking. Just do it. If it comes easy to us to easily pick the recreation over Sunday worship. Brothers, that is a problem. For the Lord has given us this day. 
for discipleship making. And he has blessed the church and commanded the church that this will be our public ministry, that through the pulpit ministry, many will come to save in faith and the church will be taught and God's word will be taught to all nations. And you wonder, how do we as disciples, how, do, how is RBC teaching many nations? How are we making disciples of many nations? We are. I'm here before you. We are. All across the Atlantic Ocean. I'm here before you. We are. Through the word that is spoken. Pastor Nick took that word and he took it to Africa. Not just anywhere in Africa. To the most populous black nation in the world. And today... A fruit of that is standing before you. We are. So let us together cherish this discipleship moment of our Sunday worship. Because the Lord is doing great things through weak people like us. So also as Jesus taught his disciple in the public, true, by sitting on the, bringing them on the mountain to teach them. And as we are doing also similarly here, through the pulpit ministry, Jesus also taught them in private. And this brings us to our second point this morning, the private ministry of believers. And I'm going to go back again to our, our discipleship manifesto. And I also encourage us, to read that over and over again. And if you need some, you can reach out to any of the elders here. We can get that to you. It's important for us to have this discipleship manifesto before us. And why is it important? Because beyond that, beyond just the public ministry of the church, we encourage church members to speak with one another, spend time in one another's homes, be out in the community, these are discipleship moments. Everything we do should serve our nature. And what's that nature of RBC? We say we are a family of faith. We are a family of faith. And these 11 disciples that Jesus called and gave the great commission to understood this commission to just, not just for them to preach in the temples, but they understand that this commission sends them also to homes. I said at the beginning of this sermon that the 11 disciples did not interpret the Great Commission only as a public ministry, but they saw it as a command to do exactly what Christ did before them. Luke wrote of how they met from house to house, teaching God's word and breaking bread together in the book of Acts. They devoted themselves also in private, in small souls, and speaking with one another the words of Christ. As it's recorded in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, we saw that these private discipleship moments, just as the public ones, brought about increase in the word of God and a great multiplication in the number of disciples. 
So the disciples increased and multiplied not, through, not only through the public ministry, but also the private ministry of breaking bread in the homes. The private ministry of meeting from house to house and speaking God's word to them, to one another. So today I want to consider just two private ministries of discipleship making. Two places where we make disciples privately. Number one is the home. In the private ministry of the home, parents are to disciple their children. That's an extension of what is done through the pulpit. Parents and grandparents as well. Our home should be a place where the ministry of the world is proclaimed from the public ministry of the church as, as a, from the public ministry as the church is taught as taught us to practice it. So the home should be an extension of what is done from the pulpit. Are we able to say to our children, are we able to say to our children in intimate way and, and say to our children, are we able to say to our children, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Am I able to say to my grandchildren, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Do we prepare them for the Lord's day? Our children looking forward to hear the sermon. Are they looking forward to Sunday school? Are we able to further explain to them what the Lord they what the Lord's day mean? On Monday morning, when you ask them about the Lord's day, will they remember what was preached? Or they remember the launch, the place you took we took them out for lunch? On Sunday afternoon. Will the children remember their Sunday school text? Or will they remember the kids and things, the people they play with? Now these are good things to do as a family. But the home should be a discipleship moment too. We should have discipleship moments in our home. We should have moments where we Bring our kids and say to them that this is what this means. Like in the Old Testament, that the Bible said to them in Exodus, that when your kids ask you, when your children ask you, what meaneth these things? Pardon my King James. What meaneth these things? And you can tell them that this is what it means, that the Lord delivered us. So when our kids ask us, what's the mean of the Passover? We can tell them, this is the deliverance of the Lord. When our children ask us, what's the meaning of the Lord's Supper? What's the meaning of baptism? What's the meaning of the preaching of the word? What is the meaning of these things? Are we able to sit them down and tell them that this is what this means? Are we discipling our children at home? Yes, we have said that discipleship starts from the pulpit. But it doesn't end in the pulpit. It extends further. As believers, we are called to make disciples of our children. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that we must make our children Christians. 
That's not what this is saying. We're saying that we teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And we pray, we teach, we pray, we teach, we pray that at the end, that God will bless the seeds in their heart and that they will come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, our second discipleship moment privately is as members of RBC is speaking God's word to one another. RBC members are encouraged to speak God's word with one another. Now that phrase, one another, occurred about 100 times in the New Testament. It's often used to refer to a mutual, consistent, and intentional exchange towards the spiritual development of believers in Christ. There is an intentional conversation towards spiritual development. Iron sharpening iron. This is another place where disciples are made. Another discipleship moment. Like believers in the book of Acts, I encourage us that we break bread with one another in homes, making disciples. Brothers and sisters, I encourage us that we be our brother's keepers by looking, for, by looking to and encouraging our brothers in the, in the Lord, by spending time to speak the word of the Lord to one another. I know we have these structures in, in, in RBC where we are encouraged to do this. Our discipleship group is one that we can take advantage of all the times and spend time to disciple one another. Let us speak God's word to one another. Five minutes, it's all it takes. Even less than that, to tell a brother, to encourage a brother with God's word. And he can start by saying, how can I be praying for you? In what area can I be praying for you? Let us encourage one another. Let us bear one another's burden. As Paul will put it, let us speak God's word to one another. And together, let us make disciples. Brothers and sisters, we have come to the end of this series on church and mission. But this is not the end. This is actually just the beginning. On behalf of the elders, I say this. I say that this is where we stand today. Together with the elders, we say we are committed to making disciples by teaching the whole counsel of God, both publicly and in private, unafraid, unashamed. Brothers, I ask this today, where do you stand? Will you strengthen these bonds of our unity in the spirit by seizing these discipleship moments and make it count? Count for making disciples. Count for seeking the lost. Count for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in public and in private. Let us not be afraid and let us not be ashamed to proclaim our God in public and in private. Because our Lord, our God, 
whom we proclaim is with us to the very end. Do not be afraid. If you're here today and you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you do not know him, you do not have any experiential saving knowledge of him, you can say you're a Christian, but you know deep down you're not. I implore you today not to hide in your heart. I implore you today to come to the cross. Come to him who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Who is able to wash your sins away and remember them no more. He is the only one that can save you. You too can be a disciple. You too can be a disciple. You too can also make disciples of all nations. All you need to do is run to the cross and repent of your sins. And finally, RBC, the Lord is with you. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. For we are a family of faith. We are a family. Let us pray. Lord, many times we have fallen short of this discipleship moment of this great commission. But today we recognize and acknowledge that, Lord, that disciples are first made in here in the church. That this is, this is where disciples are made, the pulpit ministry. And at our Sunday worship service is our flagship moment of discipleship making. And Lord, but a lot, a lot contend with this. And most of the time we give in to this contention. And Lord, we pray today that you help us. Help us not to negotiate anything, not to give up anything for the Sunday worship. And in our private homes, in our homes, and in our conversation, Lord. Help us, Lord, to take the opportunity to make disciples. That will make disciples. That will make disciples. That your word will be proclaimed to all. In Jesus' name.